Hi, we're here from Curiosity.com to help you get smarter in just a few minutes. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, you'll learn about how the ancient Greeks knew the earth was round, why being passionate about your job can backfire, and why you shouldn't worry if you find a hair in your food. Let's satisfy some curiosity. Did you know that even the ancient Greeks knew the earth was round? Yeah, this is actually a thing we've been aware of for more than 2,000 years. And the story of how they knew it was round is a good one, so let's get into it. The philosopher and mathematician Pythagoras is credited as the first to propose a spherical Earth back in 500 BC, though he did so on aesthetic grounds. He believed the sphere was the most perfect shape. A century later, the philosopher Plato suggested the same thing, which boosted the idea's popularity. But when it comes to proving the Earth is round, Aristotle was the first Greek philosopher to put his money where his mouth was. When he was writing his book On the Heavens in 350 BC, he laid out several pieces of evidence for the Earth having a spherical shape. For one thing, he pointed out, you can see the shadow of the Earth on the moon during a lunar eclipse. And since that shadow is always round, regardless of where the Earth is in its rotation, you know the Earth is a sphere. For another thing, the stars are in different positions depending on where you are on Earth. There were stars in Egypt that couldn't be seen in Cyprus, hundreds of miles away. He wrote that that proved, quote, not only that the Earth is circular in shape, but also that it is a sphere of no great size. For otherwise, the effect of so slight a change of place would not be quickly apparent, unquote. Later, another scholar named Eratosthenes did Aristotle one better. He didn't just prove the Earth was a sphere. He actually figured out its circumference. And he did it with only the sun and a stick. Eratosthenes placed a stick in the ground at noon on the summer solstice when the sun was directly overhead. He did this in both the city of Syene and in Alexandria, cities about 500 to 600 miles away from each other, or 800 to 900 kilometers. He measured the angles of the shadows cast by the sticks to calculate that the Earth was 25,000 miles around, which means he was only off by about 100 miles. Not bad for a guy in his stick. Leave it to an ancient Greek philosopher to really stick it to the flat earthers. <laughs> he really had the angle <laughs> on the circumference of the planet. That's not how that... <laughs> That's, those aren't words. <laughs> a new study suggests that having a passion for your job can actually backfire. That's because, as reported by Futurity, if someone's passionate about what they do, then people could see that as an opportunity to exploit them. The findings show that people see it as more acceptable to make passionate employees do things like work on weekends or do unpaid or more demeaning work than employees without that passion. And this passion exploitation was consistent across eight studies with more than 2,400 total participants, no matter how the study was executed and no matter who the participants were or what jobs they did. For instance, one study had participants read about an artist who was really passionate about his job. Participants in that study said it was more legitimate for the boss to exploit the artist in ways like asking for work far beyond the job description, including leaving a day at the park with family and cleaning the office bathroom. But get this, the researchers also found that the reverse was true, as in people who are exploited at work are more likely to be seen as passionate about their work. Participants read about a PhD student who was being verbally abused and given unreasonable deadlines, and they rated that student as probably being more passionate than other students. 
So just by being in a bad work situation, someone might mislabel you as passionate. And the researchers suggest this happens for two reasons. First, that work is its own reward, and second, that the employees would have volunteered anyway. But it's really just rationalizing injustice. The goal of this study was not to be anti-passion, because obviously it can be a really good thing if you're passionate about your work. Instead, the findings are presented as a warning that the passion shouldn't be used as an excuse for poor treatment. If you find yourself being exploited, then speak up. And remember, just because someone makes sacrifices for their job does not necessarily mean it's because they love it. I mean, the best way to keep someone from being passionate about their job is exploiting them. You know, you're, they're just going to burn out and lose all of their passion, and you don't want that. I've seen this happen a lot in the radio industry. Oh, yeah? Because so many people want to work in it, and so they'll put up with a lot more. Like, a lot more. I'm very fortunate and thankful that curiosity is not that kind of environment. Definitely. Today's episode is sponsored by Capterra, a free online resource to help you find the best software solution for your business. When we say Capterra can help you find the best software solution for your business, we mean your business, no matter what you do. Whether you're passionate about managing your yoga studio, or you're just trying to find better tools for email marketing or scheduling dog walks, you can search more than 700 specific categories of software designed to help you manage your business at capterra.com slash curiosity. Or how about software to schedule podcast guests? Seriously, you'll find what you need with more than 850,000 reviews of products on Captera from real software users. And you can join the millions of people who use Captera every month to find the right tools for your business fast and for free. Just visit captera.com slash curiosity today to find the right tools to make 2019 the year for your business. Captera, that's C-A-P-T-E-R-R-A dot com slash curiosity. One more time, that's captera.com slash curiosity. Show our sponsors some love and check it out today for free. We saved the kind of gross story for last today in case you're really, really squeamish about finding hair in your food. But before you skip the rest of this episode, you should know that finding a hair in your food is actually harmless. The FDA guidelines don't have a limit on strands per plate, and it doesn't even include hair on the list of natural or unavoidable defects in foods. That's because hair is made of a protein called keratin, which is the same stuff as your fingernails. And keratin is chemically inactive in your locks. That means it's not going to set off digestive issues. Technically, it is feasible for a little bit of staph bacteria to piggyback on a hair or two. But the amount of staph a few strands could carry probably isn't enough to cause you gastrointestinal problems. The FDA hasn't received reports of anyone getting sick from ingesting hair found in food. Probably because you'd have to eat a full head's worth of hair to cause digestive issues. Sorry, we warned you this would be kind of gross. That's disgusting. <laughs> so hopefully that means you're safe. Now that you've gotten your sigh of relief, let's kick things up a notch. Plenty of the foods you eat every day contain human hair on purpose. I'll give you a second to let that sink in. Here's why. There's an amino acid in keratin that's commonly synthesized from human hair and used in breads and doughs. It's called L-cysteine, and manufacturers can extract it from duck feathers, cow horns, and pig bristles, too. But apparently, human hair yields more L-cysteine than other materials. And L-cysteine does some good stuff, like extending the shelf life of bread products and helping taste buds detect salty and savory flavors. 
Human hair is boiled in hydrochloric acid to extract the L-cysteine from the keratin. So don't worry, the stuff is clean. That's good, right? And L-cysteine may even be beneficial in treating colitis, which is a digestive disease. But rest assured, whether it's L-cysteine in your toast or a strand in your pizza, hair is by far not the worst thing that can happen to your meal. Yes, waiter, I'll have the poached tribble. (laughs) I feel like this is always a nice, quick personality test that I can do on people, because what would you do if you got a plate of food at a restaurant and it had a hair in it? I wouldn't send it back. Yeah, I don't think I would either. But I'd understand it if someone did. I just think it's a thing that tells me something about you. There's hair literally everywhere. Your hair is everywhere. Is that I'm, a song? I'm dating myself. That was when I was in college. What's? Dashboard confessional. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that's why I don't know it. <laughs> Read about today's stories and more on curiosity.com. Join us again tomorrow for the award-winning Curiosity Daily and learn something new in just a few minutes. I'm Ashley Hamer. And I'm Cody Goff. Stay curious. On the Westwood One Podcast Network.